Well, good morning, folks. Folks on Christian Coffee Time, Christian Coffee Timers. Thanks for coming into this broadcast. Uh, we'll look at some of the things and listen to some of the things we're going to talk about here today. We're looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, we did chapter one a while ago. Sorry it's been so long, but uh, things get uh, tied up and busy and all that. But we're looking at chapter two today of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles handy and get some uh, paper and writing material, pen or pencil or whatever, and jot down some notes and things for you to refer back to. So we're just going to go through. Um, we're just having a walk through a tremendous, tremendous uh, book of the Bible, as each one is, and every portion of the, the Bible is uh, tremendous and deep, and, and yet uh, easy enough for us to understand. So we're just going to walk through and touch on some things here and uh, get kind of the general gist of what's going on, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, we'll just have a word of prayer and we'll ask the Lord to bless. Father in heaven, we thank you now. We pray in Jesus' name. And help us, Lord, as we study this uh, chapter of Hebrews. Now, Lord, we just pray that you be honored and glorified and that you would give us an understanding. We just pray and thank you now and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get right at it. <clears throat> so what we have here in chapter 2, we take that first word right there. It says, therefore... And as somebody has said, when you see the word therefore, you have to look and see what the word therefore is there for. What it means basically is that uh, <clears throat> it's referring to that which has just been said. So he says, I've said all these things, then because of this, or therefore, we should do this. So the things in chapter 1 are the things of the therefore. Now we know that it talked about God had spoken, God has spoken to us. And he's spoken to us through his son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the message. Okay, he's the message. And also chapter 1 talked about the Lord Jesus' superiority over angels and stuff. Some people get that all mixed up. I, I don't understand it really. I guess they don't see the deity of Christ. You must understand first and foremost that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Okay, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Many times the deity is shown and declared. Jesus said to the Pharisees, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. The I am is the title of God Almighty. Go back to Exodus. Um, you'll find that where Moses says, uh, who shall I say has sent me? And the Lord says, uh, tell him I am, that I am. The I am is God the Lord himself. <clears throat> Therefore, because of these things that we've written, or, or rather heard, and, and uh, studied here, and uh, things that have come to us, now remember he's speaking to um, this group of Hebrew Christians, and it's not right to put that uh, Hebrew on there, because in Christ all the walls of partition are down. There's not really Hebrew Christians or Gentile Christians. We know what they mean. We're all one in Christ. Okay, we'll just get that straightened out. Um, the ones that he's speaking to, um, it seems to be, and a popular opinion is that they were in Italy, perhaps Rome even itself. And as the Spirit of God is moving upon the writer to write these things down, see, the Spirit of God's looking on this group of people and amongst them, there was a problem for them that was developing. Um, some had not gone ahead in uh, belief. They had, 
um, tasted the good word of God. They had uh, uh, gone on for a ways. They've seen the things of God and so on and so forth. But they haven't entered in through belief and faith. Okay? The Bible has a lot to say about that. This is what the book of Hebrews is about here, just to explain those things. These ones were just kind of on the edge, if you can put it that way. They had been enlightened. They had been illuminated. They had the knowledge of Christ. But they had not come to that place of absolute total belief and trust in Jesus the Savior. Now we see there could be people around us today that are in that state. They've been brought into that position by the Spirit of God to show them that they must go ahead. <clears throat> Excuse me. Over in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, uh, uh, To beware, uh, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, in saying that's enough and they would go away. Um, so we ought to, he says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to these things that you've heard, these things that uh, we see before us. Now, for those that are born again, those that are Christians, have come to that place of faith and belief in Jesus Christ, we can still take a lot out of this for ourselves. There's a good, lot of good exhortations and admonitions here for ourselves. When we study our Bibles, you get basically, basically, there's one interpretation for each passage, but there's many applications interpretation is to though it's to those who were in danger of just giving up because they had difficult times back in um, I believe it was the first century and in the 60s and if that's the case you're looking at under the reign of Nero who was called the beast who was a picture of the Antichrist to come by the way but if you look at what was taking place Christianity had been outlawed and they were even taken and brought into the Colosseum and were fodder for their games and the slaughters and food for the lions and everything else. I mean, you just stop and think about the persecution of people like that, uh, where you could lose everything that you have. Um, your, your religion is outlawed, and you're standing there, and there's a big old lion bearing down upon you. This doesn't sound like something that, you know, most people would want to be in. Probably not. <clears throat> but the thing is, there were many that were in those situations that stood there and they just took it by faith. They were in no way, shape, or form going to um, give up Jesus Christ. They were never going to renounce him because they're true born-again Christians. These ones here are seeing the troubles and such. They want to go back to Judaism. It's just easier. We understand that from their standpoint. They're being encouraged to go on, go forward, believe with all your heart, trust in Christ. Well, let's go on with this. He says, therefore, because of these things, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now, those words right there, earnest heed, are um, important words for us. It means it has an idea of an abundance and such. But it has the, uh, the idea behind these words. Now, we go back and look not at the English words. I'm going back to the Greek language as the Spirit of God gave it to us in that language, okay? So we need to look at that language and the definition of those words to see what the Spirit of God was saying. Now the words right there had the idea of extreme care. The Word of God must be treated with extreme care. You must hear with extreme care, not be flippant about things, not neglecting things, okay? Now the word is commonly used as a word to, uh, as someone's bringing, say, a ship 
into land. Now, my wife and I fish in the summer. We have a, a little wee 15-foot, uh, 16-foot little aluminum boat we fish in. And, uh, and never mind who catches the more fish. It depends who you talk to. Um, <laughs> anyways, we're coming up to a, a dock. We're done fishing for the day. And you come up and we have a big, long uh, pole with a hook on the end. And we just hook the uh, one of the rings on the dock. And but if you miss that ring, you got problems. Or if the weather's against you, you got winds or waves coming in. You have to be very careful and you have to be very quick. Um, can you imagine bringing a great big ship into that situation. See, that's the picture that's given to us here of this earnest heat, extreme care. You can't be careless in those things, but today, as it was back then, people are careless with the Word of God. They're careless with the Gospel. They're careless with their Christian lives. They're careless about everything around them. The Spirit of God says, look at it. We ought to give more earnest heed, extreme care, to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now you'll notice in your Bible the word them is in italics. Let's just leave that word out for a minute and read it again. Lest at any time we should let slip. That puts the finger, the, uh, the onus on us, not on some them. Okay, It's upon uh, uh, the individual. To let slip. And there again, those words let slip is a nautical term, meaning that you got a boat, say, tied up at the dock, and the, the ropes come loose, and that boat starts to drift away. That's what's happening to these ones here. They're, they're, their moorings are loosened. They're in danger of drifting off. They're in danger of going back, of falling into an apostate state by renouncing Christ and say, that's enough, I don't want this, and going back to where I was. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. See, that boat that's slipped its moorings is um, in a danger to itself and to others. If you got this thing bobbing around, going around, it can bash into anybody or anything, or it could cause all kinds of harm. So the picture there for us to take extreme, extreme care, lest we should let slip. Verse 2, 4, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a, a just recompense of reward. What do you mean the word of angels was steadfast and so on and so forth? Well, um, you write these down. Psalm 68, 17 talks about uh, the chariots of God are 20,000 and thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai. Well, what does that mean? On Mount Sinai, did not God give the Ten Commandments to Moses? The angels were there. They were involved there with the overseeing and such of that thing. It sounds like, you say, oh, can't be. Well, let's go a little further. Acts 7.53, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels. So that means the direction of angels. And have not kept it. Galatians 3.19 um, it says the law was ordained or appointed by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now the word angel itself simply means messenger. Okay. Remember John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 20 in there. Um, Gabriel, the archangel, comes to, um, to uh, Zacharias and tells him about the son that was gonna, he was going to have, John, he's going to be called. And uh, Zacharias doesn't believe him. 
And Gabriel says to him, because you don't believe, basically, basically he says, because you're not believing my words, you're not going to be able to speak from now until the time that child is born. You see, there's the, uh, uh, a transgression, a, a disobedience that received a recompense of reward. How much more a recompense of reward was given to those that uh, 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 go against the word of God that's spoken by the Lord God himself? But he says the angels were involved in those things. So remember in the previous chapter, he showed us how Jesus Christ is so far above the angels. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect? That word neglect there means to be careless. There are people careless about their salvation. People are careless the way they think they enter into it. You know, they say a 10 cent prayer, you know, thinking that some prayer is going to save them and that. It's a matter of the heart, folks, isn't it? It's the heart. It's not a prayer spoken and such. Although you can, in your belief before God, you can sure, certainly pray. It's not a problem. But some, some do say, and I've had people say to me, that it's the prayer that saves you. No, that's baloney. That's baloney. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, so mighty a salvation that we have, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto them that heard him. It was established. Uh, they, uh, they had received the word of God. The word of God is to be, believed, to be believed. Receive it, believe it. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now the apostles did miracles, didn't they? People today, they want to perform miracles and such. In fact, there's churches and stuff around that call themselves apostolic, this and that and the other. And they, they're from the line of the apostles. That's a lot of nonsense. It's not what the Bible says. It was given to them back in those days in Bible times to authenticate God's word, to authenticate the word of God. They did miracles. They did all kinds of things. It says that right there. Gifts of the Holy Ghost uh, according to his own will. Apostolic miracles. There's no apostles today. Uh, the prerequisite for being an apostle is you had to have been with Christ and seen him and do the things he did. Uh, the guys today that are claiming to be apostles are either they're very, very old or they're very, very mistaken. And I think it's the latter, very mistaken. Verse 5, For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come. Now, he's going to talk about the world, the future aspect of the world, uh, a past aspect and a present aspect here. For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come. Okay, there's a new world coming, you know, folks. You know that. God is going to renovate this world. He's going to change it. It's not going to be by flood. It's going to be by fire this time. It's going to change it. And the heavens are going to be changed. And it's completely different. He's going to take it back to the way he wants it. And he's going to rule over it the way he wants it done. It's going to be kind of like the Garden of Eden starting all over. Now, the old devil, he wants to rule. He wants to run things. And it looks like he's got a foot in the door right now. In our world today, people talk about a new world order and such. Today, uh, people of the world and governments are trying to bring in this utopian society thingy, this communistic thing, and it will be, everything will be great. And they want to get rid of God, and that's one of the uh, uh, main tenets of that thing. Uh, God says, no, look at guys... Um, I'm going to have to set you straight. I'm going to do away with you and all those things. I'm going to set my world up. The world to come. <laughs> Let's go on to verse 6. Now in David speaking in Psalm chapter 8 verse 4. 
He's the one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Now those words mindful and visit there, we just talk about them just for a minute. What is man? What are we that God should be mindful? It has the, um, the sense of not just thinking of, but the idea of caring for. Our God cares for us. He cares for people so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, to the cross of Calvary to pay for the sins of all mankind, died on the cross, gave his life as a sacrificial lamb, buried in the tomb, rose from the dead on the third day, and God cares so much, he says, now all you've got to do is believe from your heart, not from your head, from your heart, all of your heart. that thou visitest him. It means to visit to help, not to sit down and have a cup of tea or something. Hey, how's it going? No, to help, to be there to help. That's our God. That's God for anybody. You need help. You need uh, uh, um, you need that uh, um, watch care that God provides and get to him. You get to him through Jesus Christ. But in the past, in verse 7, he says, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Talking about creation. Adam was made lower than the angels. The angels are a higher life form than we are. Chapter 1 said Jesus Christ is so far above the angels because he's the Lord God Almighty. Okay? But God makes mankind a lower life form than the angels back in the beginning. Okay? And he crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of his hands. God gave to Adam and mankind, subsequently, the dominion of the whole earth, everything under his, under his uh, um, watch care and so on and so forth. Now you stop and think about this. The old devil, he's filled up with pride and he wants to rule. He wants to be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High and all this stuff. And he's going to have a chance at it coming down the road here soon. Imagine the jealousy and the hatred built in him when he sees this lower life form that God has just made. And God gives this new creation, this whole world gives this character, this Adam guy, gives him the dominion of the whole earth. Well, the devil comes in in the Garden of Eden and he throws a monkey wrench into the whole machinery in the system, eh? Wants to destroy it all. Um, basically, that's what's taking place. He says in verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection to rank under under his feet, that's mankind. Okay. All things under, under his feet. For in that he put uh, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but, now this is the present day from the time of the fall to now, but now we see not yet all things put under him because of the fall. Something happened, some change took place. The fall into sin, Adam and Eve, and the fall into sin, and subsequently every person with the sins of Adam, our own uh, sins and the uh, sins that we commit, and so on and so forth. This old rebellious nature that we have from Adam. You've got it, I've got it, everybody's got it, and it causes sin, it's rebellion, and something has to be done. That's why Christ went to the cross, because you can't do it yourself. You can't knock on enough doors. You can't... Uh, Crawl up steps on your knees. You can't do enough of that or whatever it is. You need Jesus Christ. This is what this is showing. You need Jesus Christ. You can't do it. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we will. 
at the restoration of the earth. It's all going to change, isn't it? Verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. God manifest in the flesh, made on the level of mankind, made as one of mankind to identify with us, to represent man on the cross. Your place, my place, on the cross for our sins. For the suffering of death, crowned with honor and glory, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. See that word taste is an important word right there because he's going to reference that later on. Jesus on the cross tasted death. He didn't stay there, did he? He rose from the dead on the third day. He's alive. He just tasted it for everybody. He went into it for everybody. Kind of like a test drive. You buy a car, you probably drive it first. Drive it, oh, yeah, this one's not for me. Or, yeah, this one I like, okay? Um, that word taste right there, it's different from receiving. It means to test. And it's a test drive. Jesus just tasted of death. And these Hebrews that were in danger of going back have tasted the good word of God. They've tasted the Holy Spirit. And they're in danger of saying, that's not for me. Okay? Verse 10, for it became him who, for whom are all things. That word became means it was fitting. It was becoming. It suited Jesus Christ. Uh, whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. So for many people to be saved to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. People may say, well, what Jesus wasn't perfect? That's not what it means. English language or perfect means that. This word here, it means to complete or accomplish. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Okay, we are in verse 10. Um, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, to bring to that accomplished uh, end and the work of the cross, it wasn't a mistake or anything. Some people think it was a mistake and Jesus was, un, well, he was unjustly crucified, but it was the plan of God. Read Acts chapter 4, verses uh, 26, 27, 28 in there. It talks about the plan of God, that it was, this is no accident. This is what was to be done. The cross suited him. It's what he came for. Verse 11, for both he that sanctifies. Now, look at this, this is interesting. We get into some stuff here about the Lord Jesus and his relationship with the believers. For both he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all of one. If you're a believer, you're a born-again believer, you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone, you try and add something to that, that's not salvation. It's by the grace of God and Jesus Christ alone and grace alone. Um, when we are saved, we are one with him. He lives in us, and we are in him, the Bible says. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call the believers his brothers, his family. Okay. Is it possible sometimes you or I would be ashamed of Christ in the gospel? Romans chapter 1, is it 117? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, first unto the Jew and then unto the Greek. Sometimes we're a little ashamed. We're shy. We have a fear of man sometimes. We ought not to have that. We ought not to have that. Um, I was given, uh, um, you know, we wear those, supposed to wear these masks and stuff, eh? 
I was given one uh, through Christian Comic Time. You get them, and it says on it, it's a black one, and it says, Jesus is God. Repent and believe the gospel. Perfect. I like that. Okay? Jesus is not ashamed to call us. Do you, do you sometimes feel, well, maybe you don't do everything right? Sometimes we feel, oh boy, I can't do anything right or whatever. You feel down or whatever. Oh, why would God bother with me? No, 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 no. Get your mind out of that. He sees the finished product. The finished product is when you go to be with Him in heaven and you're complete and you're there and you have that new body and all that stuff. <laughs> we are His. We are His family. He's not ashamed to identify with us. He's not ashamed to associate with us. That's our Lord. That's our God. That's our Savior. Uh, saying, uh, this is from Psalm 22, verse 22, saying, I, Jesus, will declare thy name, God's name, the Father's name, to my brethren in the midst of the church. And when you see the word church in the New Testament, it simply means the assembly, the gathering, okay? It says, I, will I sing praise unto thee? Look at what it says. Jesus says that I am going to sing praise unto the Father in the midst of the assembly. And I take this application of, I think it's interpretation of it as well. When we gather for church services, he says, there am I in the midst. And we sing our hymns, I mean, good hymns, old-time hymns that have got substance to them, got doctrine to, with them. And Jesus Christ singing right along with us? That's what it says. So from that, you say, if you're not involved in a church, you should be. God wants you to be associated, joined to a church that preaches the Bible. Maybe difficult to find one of those these days. They're getting rarer, kind of rarer, as rare as hen's teeth kind of thing. But they're out there. You ask the Lord, he'll lead you and guide you. You may only have a few people gathered together. God wants you to be in a church. And God is, says that our Christianity is structured in that way, that we assemble together on the Lord's day to give praise and glory and honor to him and the, the whole thing. Be there, seek, seek, seek it out, search it out, uh, find it, okay? Um, church services please God. The singing pleases God. Jesus Christ sings with us, makes me smile. That's our Lord, that's our God, that's our Savior. He says, I'm with you. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. Um, the Lord Jesus shows his uh, relationship with believers. And if you're writing things down, write down John chapter 17 and read that chapter. It's a, uh, a prayer that Jesus uh, made. He's praying to the Father about the disciples, about the believers. Really, really interesting, really deep, really important. Um, Verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, so much as we are of flesh and blood, he also uh, himself likewise took part of the same. Flesh and blood, that is. God became a man so he could suffer death, so he would identify with mankind, so he would take the sins of mankind upon himself, pay the price of the sins of mankind to set us free through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the deity of Christ, who he is and what he's done, and through belief in him from your heart. But look what it says here in verse 14. Uh, partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death 
something else that was accomplished on the cross, that through death itself, he not only paid for our sins, but look at what he says here. Through that death on the cross, he would destroy, means to annul, cancel, him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now that word power there in, in the Bible there, um, it has the idea of dominion. The devil had the dominion of death held it. Jesus destroyed that. Jesus took that from him. There's an interesting verse, write this down, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, talks about when you get saved, when you're born again, when you trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart, you are translated or removed from the power of darkness. That word power there is authority. Removed from the authority of darkness and translated, removed, transported, however you want to put that, into the kingdom of his dear son. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? But let's go on a little further here. Uh, they might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, that's that old serpent, that's the, uh, uh, the dragon, um, and deliver them. The believers are delivered. If you're listening today and you're not saved, you're not born again, you need to trust in Christ as your Savior. It's the most important thing that you could ever do. We live on this earth for a little wee time. You ever go to the cemetery and look at the headstones and that? I do it once in a while. You see a date where the person's born, a date where the person died, and a little wee dash like that. That's your life. <laughs> and what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You've not got much time on this earth. After this life, <clears throat> excuse me, we will live on forever, either in heaven with the Lord or in hell awaiting judgment. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There is no other way. God paid for your sins on the cross and delivered them, the believers and any that will believe, who through fear of death, people have a fear of death. And it's from the devil, it says right there, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And this fear of death that the devil brings in, there's a bondage of sin. Uh, there's the bondage of death. And there's the fear of death. When you get saved, death becomes your servant. And when you die, when this old body dies, death is simply a servant to me then to you to usher us into the presence of God. You close your eyes here, open them in the presence of God, just like that, done. Isn't that amazing? That's what it is. The devil holds that fear, that bondage of death over people. If you're afraid to die, that's not from God. For verily, for truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. God became a man. God was manifest in the flesh. He didn't become an angel. Okay? Wherefore, or therefore, in all things it behooved him, it was necessary for him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, that he could identify with us, that he would represent us he would become one of us and go to the cross, become a human being. Isn't that something? But look at what it says at the end of verse 17, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now that word reconciliation right there 
is the word propitiation, which I think is about four times in the Bible, uh, more than that really. In uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one John chapter two verse two: If any man sin, we have a have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anybody can get saved. Okay, that's what it says. Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the people. Some people are mixed up and think that they can work their way to heaven. It says there, Jesus Christ is the propitiation. Now, what does that mean, that word propitiation? Well, I'm going to use the word appeased. It's not really the correct way to do it, but it gives us an idea of what it is about. It means to appease. Somebody's appeased here. Who is? God, because he's offended. His laws are broken. His holiness has been uh, 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 attacked, as it were, by our rebellious nature, by our sins that we commit daily, sometimes minute by minute, in your thoughts and so on and so forth. But God is appeased. God is propitiated with the offering of His Son on the cross and His death, burial, and resurrection. God is not appeased by your good works your baptism, your church attendance, or however good you think you are. God's not appeased by that. He says, I only accept what my son Christ did on the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead. That's what the Bible's about from Genesis to Revelation. Only Jesus Christ. God says, if you don't believe in my son, you're not going to make it. Okay? Because it's Jesus Christ who went to the cross to make reconciliation. And not only the word uh, 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 appease, or the idea of appeasement there, but also a reconciliation. What good would it be if God was appeased and then that stops there? No, it's about reconciliation, turning us back to Him. You're going to turn to Him? Did you turn to Him? Have you turned to Him through Christ? To appease and to reconcile. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to secure. There's the King James Bible here. He's able to secure. And that word secure means to help those who can't help themselves. It's not your baptism. It's not your church attendance. It's not how good you think you are. You can't help yourself. It's Jesus Christ or nothing. It's the Savior or nothing. He is able to secure, to help them that are tempted by sin. That's our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. And that's basically our run-through of chapter 2 of Hebrews. We'll do chapter 3 uh, shortly. But for that, um, for today, that should be enough. Thank you very much for coming in and listening. I go over this and read through it and familiarize yourself. It's not difficult. You take it bit by bit, step by step. Read it very slow as you read any portion of the Bible. You can read it quickly to go through or and go back and study it. Look at every word. Think of what's he talking about? What's he being conveyed here? Look at for the paragraphs and the divisions of thoughts and stuff like that. Fascinating, fascinating book, Hebrews. Often misunderstood. People think, well, you can lose your salvation. No, you can't. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those that are not saved yet. They're just on the test drive, tasting. But we'll get to that later, next time in chapter 3. Thank you very much, folks. Lord bless you. And uh, have a good day and all that. And don't forget to speak up for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Get it out there. 
go on Christian coffee time and get one of those masks that says that right. You don't have to say a word. It's written right there for you. Yeah, just do that. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Bye now.